You're listening to the Stock Culture Podcast. With stocks meet culture. Hosted by Billy Clement and Ronnie Jones. Yes, sir. If you want to hear the best podcast in the game, that's right, y'all. About how ordinary people are conquering the stock market. Then this is the podcast for you. Money managers, wealth builders, stock culture nation. You ready? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, welcome again to the Stock Culture, man. We have another episode coming to you. Uh, but before we jump into the episode, Ronnie Jones, man, what's going on, bro? Yo, what's up, man? Good, man. How, how did the market treat you today? Dude, SBX did did what it was supposed to do for my yes, account. Sir. So I'm not it's, complaining. And this is on Tuesday, <laughs> February 7th, everybody. So you don't get confused when this can, when this uh, episode get released and stuff. Tuesday, February 7th. Definitely the LL. The market did some crazy stuff, man. So it was it was dope. But anyways, man, today we got Will Court. Is that is that how you say the last name? Uh, coward. Coward. Close enough. Will Coward. <laughs> My bad, man. <laughs> I butchered that name completely. Uh, so he's, he's from uh, the Atlanta area. I mean, you're like the second. I don't know. Are you the second or third one? At some, some person from Atlanta we had. I don't know. I think you're like the second person. But anyways, he's from Atlanta. He's been trading since last year, 2021. Well, I guess two years ago. Um, yeah. Mainly options. Distract, man. We we get we got yeah. a lot of strat gangs in the house, bro. So I uh, the Rob Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so I I this this time around we're gonna do something funny. Like you know we're trying to ask people what's what's something funny that the listeners would, would like to know about. And for you, said trading Dogecoin is what got me into trading. That is wild. <laughs> yeah, trading Dogecoin all through high school or whenever everything started to blow up. Yeah, that's originally what I made a little bit of money on, and then that's I was awesome. sitting up late at night watching uh, Saturday Night Live, and then he proceeded to basically say that, "Oh, it's just a joke." Has no yeah. utility, and then I saw the gains that I just made go on, and I was like. <sighs> Gotta actually start trading now. Trading for real. <laughs> Wait, did you so did you traded on Robinhood then, right? I was on Weeble when I was doing it. Oh, I was on Weeble. Weeble um, and then I was also trading it on um some other crypto broker. I okay. what it was called. Coinbase. I was on Coinbase. Man, so that that was your that was your introduction to trading, man. That's wild, yo. Because I know some people got into trading through the AMC and Ga- and GameStop kind of like you know saga that happened like a couple of years ago. Uh, some people got in uh, Dogecoin. Some people got what was the other one? Shibu. I, I know a lot of people who got in because of Shibu. I was like, damn, man. So, yeah, man. So that's crazy that you actually started trading Dogecoin. That's a lot of people I, I we talk to. They start trading stocks for right options stuff, but you actually started with the crypto world. That's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, man. So let's let's just talking about you, man. Let's let's start with like your upbringing. I know you from Atlanta area. Have you always lived in Atlanta? Like, how was how was uh life back then? Yeah, so uh, I basically all always lived in the same area. My dad was in the uh, kind of manual labor, working construction sort of stuff. And my mom was a mail carrier. Okay. Uh, so that's basically where I came from. Um, didn't really have any big extremities in life. And then later on, whenever I started to go more into like the finance world, sort of to learn a little bit about it, which is because mainly got inspired because some kind of hard times fell on you know my family like they fell on a bunch of other families especially during covid yeah yeah so that's kind of where it sort of peaked my interest uh interest i started listening to dave ramsey uh graham stefan on youtube a bunch of just finance people and then eventually i ended up finding my way into the stock market into crypto all that sort of stuff okay okay 
So the COVID, I know the COVID kind of like caused a lot of people to go outside the marketing, like, you know, start learning about the stock market and all this stuff. So prior to COVID, were you, was that something you were interested at all in? Like, was that something that you think about? Like, how did you, like, what was your path into like, actually like getting into the trading and stuff? Uh, prior to COVID? Yeah. Yeah. So like prior to all that stuff, um, I always knew that I liked money. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, whether it be finance or business, et cetera, et cetera. I just knew that I wanted money. Like I, I was the kid at school where, especially like elementary school, you go in elementary school and it'd be like, I'd be the kid selling candy bars for 150 when I bought them for 75 cents and like stuff like that. Nice. I, I, I've just always liked money. And then eventually I found a path that led me to where I am now. So. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. I man. was in school and was really starting to get into it, like right after, or once I got into Doge. Yeah, once I got into school and I was, I think I was 17, 17 or eighteen. I was in my senior class, already completed most of my stuff. Um, I wasn't necessarily a bad student, but I wasn't no like valedictorian or anything like that. Like, I got my for me the pass, and my parents not to be mad at me. <laughs> so uh once I would do all my classwork and there wouldn't really be anything that I really need to pay attention to, I'd be on my phone scrolling through like the cryptos that I wanted to trade. Or eventually whenever I started getting the stocks, it was instead of listening to the teacher ramble on about some random stuff that don't I don't care about, mm-hmm. I'd be checking my phone, looking at the stock market, all that sort of stuff. Man, so even even in high school you were doing that. Um like I guess how old are you? So you, you sound very young. So you're like probably like early, <laughs> early twenties, like you're 20, 21, yeah. 22. I just turned 20. What? <laughs> that is wild, man. I think by far, you're probably the youngest person we interviewed. Cause I know we had cam. I think cam was like, I think cam was like 20, 22. Cam from the alpha pack. Wow, man. At 20 years old, like you already like, like the amount of, because I peeped your, your Instagram, man, the amount of knowledge you give on there about the strat and trading and stuff. Like if somebody just like walked off the street and just saw your Instagram and the, the game you give, they probably think you were like trading for like few years, not just a couple of years. That's mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> Something I've actually been surprised with is ever since I started coaching uh, is, I, I mean, I was coaching behind the scenes for a while, but as far as actually making it like an income source, mm-hmm. I was kind of worried about people coming to me or thinking about coming to me for advice and then learning my age. And I expect, I was expecting there to be some sort of like weird, like looking down on me almost just because I'm mm-hmm. younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, surprisingly, everyone that I've been teaching all that sort of stuff, they don't really care. Like I was a few days ago, I was having a one-on-one with like a principal at a school. Wow. One of my, one of my main dudes in my mentorship is like a uh, software engineer, robotics engineer, just like crazy smart stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's cool. I, I'm I'm glad that I haven't faced any sort of weird stuff just because my age. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. And then, you know, for you to be able to like have the maturity to like talk to people about those things and not even feel like, you know, you're nervous just because somebody's older than you or, you know, hold a, a job that you probably you know, never thought about holding and then even a principal for god's sake you should go back to your school and teach your principal i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh man have you thought about going back to your high school and like you know talking to some of your uh ex-classmates or even like your teachers and all this stuff and kind of help them like 
you know, get into the market a little bit? You know, I was, I've thought about going back to my old math teacher. I used to have an old math teacher. Her name was Miss Nichols and she was, she was the best. And it, it felt more like a friend trying to teach me something rather than it being like an actual teacher. Okay. I thought of her as just a friend, not like an authority almost. And she really got me into, uh, we ended up doing finance one year. Okay. Got me into finance. Then I went into another statistics class and, um, uh, both of those kind of getting together doing those one year after the other really just gave me sort of a love. And with that being said, I mean, I'm no like math geek or anything. I, I care about practical things and I don't care about what MX plus B equals. I want to, I care about how much money am I going to make and what what is the problem that I need to do to make that amount of money? Okay. What, what, you know, whatever it may be. So let's talk about that because one of the biggest thing I always have with schooling, especially is, um, not teaching kids practical things like you said like how to solve problems how to uh, think about finance how to think about money like in your school is that something that that was taught or is that like you know you just kind of have to like figure that stuff out yourself uh for the most part you got to figure it out all yourself like you would go in a statistic class and they teach you very 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 basic concepts or you go into a financing class and they teach you very very basic concepts like Mm -hmm how to manage your money for the month. Like, okay, if you make $2,000, you can't spend all $2,000 within the month. Like, like other than that, that's about where it ended. Mm. There was no in-depth, there was no in-depth teaching that actually taught you hardly anything worth the use. Like I can go on YouTube, search up a three minute video and it would teach me everything that class taught me in, you know, four or five months. Facts, facts. So they they taught you more about like budgeting rather than like, okay, you got $2,000 now what? Okay. I see what you're saying. So mm-hmm. high school, yeah. did you end up going to college? Did you like just decide like, hey, I don't I, I don't want to do this college thing. I'm just going to, you know, go to trading and do all that. Yeah. So actually, funny about that. Uh, so whenever I got out of high school, like just graduated, mm-hmm. my mom does doing um, she didn't really know about any of that. None of my family really knew about much of it. So they didn't really know about anything. They wanted me to go to college. They were, you know, wanted me to pursue that route. And especially at the time, I was actually very tempted. And I actually ended up uh, signing up for a college and I ended up actually going to any classes. So, yeah, they wanted me to go the college route. And at the time, I wasn't making any significant money, but I knew what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I ended up signing up for the college and I kind of made a deal with myself. I was like, okay, I'll go to college, you know. Nothing works out, whatever. However, I really want this to be what I want to do. So before I fully, uh, before before I fully commit to going to college and doing that sort of route, I want to see if I can get this under my belt and then show my mom that I can actually make money with what I'm doing. Yeah. So one day, it was probably like a year ish, maybe eight months, somewhere somewhere around there. Ended up going up to my mom and I was like, "Hey, mom, I got something to show you." And she was like, "What?" She and at this point, I had mentioned that I traded a little bit in uh, a little bit of money, and I ended up showing her a screenshot of my account, basically. And I was like, "I made this today." And at the time, it was my biggest win. It was like a thousand two hundred dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's a carrier, so a thousand two hundred dollars—that's like a full week, you know, a full week's worth of pay in a day. And I'm yeah. your son. Yeah. So. Uh, and I basically sat down with her and I was like, look, you know, college, I'm not, 
I, it's not that I don't want to not go to college, but it's at the time I'm trying to do something else and college isn't really on the horizon for me. Mm. And luckily she understood. She let me go ahead and pursue my thing. Eventually led me to here, but it was hard. It, it was really hard, especially because whenever I was starting, especially like the first about year, probably nine, nine to 10 months of trading. You know, I was 18, 19 years old, wasn't doing a whole lot. I was a server at Red Lobster, and then I also worked at Home Depot. Wow. And in my account, if you really look like back in the, like the, in Weeble, you have a thing where you can basically see like, okay, in this month, you made X amount of money. This month, yep. you lost X amount, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the first like 10 months of my account, it's like negative like nine grand, eight grand, something like that. Whoa. And for me, being an 18, 19 year old, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you know, she wasn't pushing me out as soon as I turned 18 or anything. So I didn't have rent to cover. But regardless, it's like it felt like I would go to work just for me to put it in the market and then lose it. Lose it. And, you know, that sucked for a while. And they, I kind of got to a point where it was like, I really had the, I uh, kind of go back to the whole like college thing. Mm -hmm. I really had to sit down with myself and I'm like, look, like I, at this point, I've lost like $6,000. Basically everything I'm working for is going down the drain. And am, am I really cut out for this? Like, am I actually going to do it? Is this something that I need to pursue? And uh, eventually I was like, you know, 19 years old. I'm pretty sure I was 19 by that point in a couple months. But 19 years old, I mean, even if everything fails, let me just do it for another six months or another year. Yeah. Because if all else fails, I can still go to college by the time I'm 20, get out by the time I'm 24. Like, that's not going to be too bad. Uh, I'll just try for one more year. And luckily, within that time, I ended up getting in a good options group. I ended up meeting uh, this dude called uh, Brown, Brown Strike. Brown Strike, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I met him and then he and he introduced me to the strat because at the current time I was writing like technical analysis of indicators and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my wins were just all over the place. It was like the indicators for me personally, I understand that they work highly for other people, but for me personally, like I was focusing on the indicators instead of what price was actually doing. Like I, I like, it was almost to the point where I wouldn't even need the chart up on my screen. It's just, okay. Indicator said the buy, I'm going to buy. Indicator says to sell, I'm going to sell. So uh, yeah, he ended up coming, coming into the group. He was doing really good. Um, ended up teaching or telling basically everyone about the strat. And then everyone was like, okay, well, you know, how do you do that? Pointed us to some videos. He taught us a little bit himself. He he was he was really a blessing whenever it came to my journey. Um, and lo and behold, I mean, after like all those months of technical analysis, it takes me like four months, and then after those four months, I ended up like bringing my account up to like positive. Nice. And out of everything like that, the strat for me personally was the best because I I didn't rely on any indicators or anything like that. It was just you look at the price it's like okay well more sellers are coming in more buyers are going out you know time to go into a put or time to yep. do whatever else and then it had clear entry and exit it's like okay if it hits to this point the high the higher probability is that it's going to be going against you so go ahead and get out the trade yeah uh because this at the point I, whenever i was doing technical analysis i don't really have a ton of risk management because again the indicators told you when to get out and the indicators themselves 
at least ones that I was using, you know, it varied widely. It'd be like, okay, sometimes I'd be negative 10% and tell me to get out. I mean, I right, cool. Then other times the indicator would be like, okay, now I'm at like negative 35%. Now it's telling me to get out. So there's no consistency <laughs> when it actually came to my, when I get out the trade. Right, right, right. So the strike kind of pulled all that together in for me. And uh, risk management was probably the main, one of the main things other than strat that really elevated my trading. Man, there's a lot in there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the biggest thing I'll say is this, like every trader goes to that one period of time where you're in a negative, like we Mm -hmm. all go through that. Like, you know what I mean? Every single person goes to that and you really are faced with that reality. Okay. I'm down every month. It seems like I'm not doing anything. I might win two or three trades here, get hype. But then after that, it's just winning. After that, just losing from there. Mm-hmm. So I think like that's the way of the market teaching you uh, a, lot, a little bit about yourself. So, you know, you get to know, you get to learn a little bit about yourself, your emotions, your, your character, all that during that time when you're actually losing money and stuff. So um, kudos to you, man, for sticking it out and hey, working it out from there. So I want to go back to your mom. So when, when you showed her that what you made in a day that was you making a week, like, what was her like? What was her reaction? Like, was she like excited? Was she like, oh, shoot, like, I need to learn more about this? Or I, I guess I want to know, like, how did she feel when you showed her that? Yeah. So I showed her it. Uh, I showed her it. And she was very, she was glad that I was making money and that I made a decent amount of money, but she was very hesitant because she was like, okay, well, how did you make it? And obviously I had to say the stock market. And she's like, how, how much money did you have to put in to make $1,200? Yeah. Because at yeah. the time she doesn't think about options or anything like that. She knows about normal stocks. Um, and then I ended up explaining, you know, what it is. And she was like, oh, okay. So you're gambling. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she, she wasn't, uh, eventually after a little bit, I was able to convince her to kind of support me and everything. But at first she was definitely very hesitant because she didn't want me to gamble all my money away or whatever it was. Yeah. And that's the reason why I asked her. Cause it's like, I had the same story with my mom. Like I paid, a, I paid a lot of her debt and she was like, where are you getting all this money from? I was like, the stock market. She's like, are you out there gambling your money? I was like, no, I'm not gambling. It's like literally you can do this and make money off of it. So even to this day, she's still, she's still very skeptical about it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I was asking, like, how did your mom react to that and all this? Because I know their generation is a little different from us. You know, we take risk and all that stuff, but theirs is like more like, hey, go to work, do your 95 or whatever, and you're good, right? So yeah. um, that's amazing. So you, you, you didn't go, you decide not to go to college. You lose a little bit of money here and there, and then you find you find the group and Strat King and then he kind of, I mean, Brown Strat, he kind of help you, you know, move on to and become more profitable using this, this Strat. Now, yeah. the, the question I have is, you talked a little bit about risk management, like walk us through, how do you, how do you, how do you manage your money when it comes to trading? Yeah. So, um, Brown, again, I'm getting a little bit of inspiration from Brown. Uh, for me personally, I, do like reversal trades with stress like two ones uh i also do those like psychological levels like whether i'm seeing it continue over 4200 or if i'm seeing it hit 4200 and reject etc etc uh normally i'm cutting anything if i'm if the whole point of me getting into a trade is to get in at a reversal my stop loss is going to end up being tight because of just the way that i'm trading 
if you're in a reversal trade and your stop loss isn't tight, like why? Like why? Because the whole point is to get in at, at a reversal point. Right. So for me, I'm usually sitting at about a 10% okay. uh, stop loss because if I'm not getting in right at that point and it continues to go the other direction, I mean, lose percent or lose 10% boohoo, you know, it is whatever. Let's go ahead and go on to the next trade. I mean, and that's another thing whenever it comes to mental, because especially whenever it comes to trading, I, you know, being a teenager or was being a teenager, all that sort of stuff, right. very emotional when it comes to trading. So uh, it, it helps a lot with having a smaller a stop loss, because if I lose 10%, I mean, I'm not really losing any sleep at night over that, especially right. if you're directly portioning out your trades and scaling it the way it needs to be scaled. Um, another thing that was really good, I was talking to Brown one day and I, th I think it was in the group he says that he basically anytime his trade would be green like it'd be green like 15 20 25 percent some some of that nature mm -hmm. he would never let it go red at that point he'd either break even or make a little bit of profit and i and i was wondering and because in my head i'm like okay well i mean you know sometimes stuff is going to go red and then rebound a lot yeah when making a lot of money and uh Something that I, I don't know if it was Brown, but I saw someone else mention it whenever we were in that conversation. And it was basically like, do you plan on trading within the next month? you plan on trading within the next year or two or three years, et cetera, et cetera? And if the answer is yes to that, you protecting your account, making a little bit of money here and there by cutting it before it goes red is going to end up is going to end up exponentially increasing your account after a couple of years because it's like, yes. It, it's really going to come down to two decisions. You're like, okay, do you want to gain you? If it goes red, you want to take the risk of it just never going green again, mm -hmm. or do you want to take the guaranteed profit? And the way I think about it is if I'm going to be trading for the next three years and I'm going to be taking, let's say, you know, day trading or something like that, yeah, you got 800 trades or whatever. Out of those 800 trades, if you never let any of them that were green go red, say theoretically like 75 of those went green they go back down and instead of you normally letting them go red you just cut it those 75 trades that you only made you know five ten percent on or whatever because you cut it is going to end up is is going to end up making a sizable uh change in your account because again 75 trades five to ten pound percent compounded it, it's not a short race or like i'm not Trying to make a million dollars next week. I mean, of course, it'd be nice, but realistically speaking, I'm not trying to make a million dollars next week. Yeah, I'm trying to ensure that I'm going to have a livable income. I'm going to try at this point in my life set up for my future. I don't really care too much about living some super big lavish lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like a nice car, not like a you know anything crazy, but I'd like a nice car, decent house. But past that, I don't really care. I want to set up for my family. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 playing the long game. Like I, tr I don't want to risk my money. If I am making money currently, I want to guarantee that I am making money. Yes, sir. And one of the ways that I teach whenever I'm going through, whenever I'm going through a trading session, is going to be if I, if you were up twenty percent, let's say I, or I'm almost always telling the person to have a stop loss immediately as you get into trade at negative ten percent. Like theoretically, if they're trading the same way that I'm trading. Yep. It goes up, you're at 20% cool. That negative 10 stop a negative 10% stop loss is going to move above your entry. I'll move up, yep. 
And for that is a bunch of very, very big things, especially for newer traders. And it isn't even necessarily that it's it's guaranteeing you profit. Yes. But even more than that, it's no matter what happens in that trade, no matter what happens, you are going to be making money. Yep. That's going to do something other than, of course, just protecting your account, making a little bit of money. That's also going to be helping you actually stay in the trade, because as an emotional trader and as a past emotional trader, if I know that the worst possible case scenario is me still making money, I'm going to be a lot more adept to be staying in that trade and actually focusing on what the actual price action is doing yeah. rather than hoping or anything like that. Like today, for example, uh, whenever I was taking that call, as it started going up and up and up, that stop loss uh, was following it. And once it got up to, yeah, exactly 700%, I had my stop loss at 600%. And then as you saw, if you were to look at the chart for today, it reached a very top and then harshly fell down. And that would have probably gotten rid of like 300% off that. Mm -hmm. that stop loss to guarantee me I'd at least make 600% of that. And and again, it, it's all, it's all takeaways and giveaways, all that sort of stuff. Whenever you want to look at trading, because it's like, okay, well, the bigger your stop loss, the the bigger the stop loss, the bigger almost gamble you're going to make. In, in my personal opinion, again, everyone has their own way of trading. For yep. me personally, the bigger your stop loss, the more, uh, the bigger gamble you want to make. Yes, it could jump back, end up making you money. But at this, you know, other end of the coin, you could also lose 20, 30%, whatever it may be. Facts, facts. I'm just trying to do, I'm just trying to make guaranteed money because eventually making guaranteed money is going to end up almost making me guaranteed successful. Yeah. I mean, of course, to a certain extent. <laughs> I mean, we see that a lot too, right? We see, we see people make a thousand, two thousand percent. Like I've seen somebody who made two thousand percent and didn't take enough, pro didn't take profit in time, no stop loss and lost all that, all that percentage, right? We see the extreme cases. And then we see people who like, might have their stop loss too tight, you know, at five, 10%, the the price action comes, knocks them out and goes back up again. So we have seen all these different cases. So going back to what you said, it all depends on you as a trader. What is your level of tolerance? What is your level of risk? And if you set up your stop loss, you always got to think about yourself. Like, what is it that I'm willing to lose, or which is, you know, what at what point am I trying to willing to cut this off? Is it ten percent? Is it five percent? Is it twenty percent? It's all up to you, right? And no, Ronnie, Ronnie does that a lot. So I don't know, Ronnie, you want to touch base on how you set up your stop loss and all these different things? And sometimes, you know, you you do a really good job with doing that. Yeah, um, I I pretty much use a trailing stop. Um, when when I'm when I'm trading that way, like like you were mentioning, that way you lock in some type of profit. Um, I know, for example, like with SPX today, it ran up and then drastically just dropped down. So you could have lost all your profit at you know in a matter of minutes. If you know, for me, I had a trailing on there and I was able to lock in a good amount of money. But um, that's definitely important, especially if you're in profit and you have multiple contracts. Take some off, have some runners going. Um, but definitely important to lock that profit in, though. Yeah, definitely. A lot, a lot of different strategies that somebody can use for all that. So, Delu, welcome, man. Um, I know you just jump in. Just want to say hello, man. Yeah, man. What's up, guys? What's up, oh. guys? What's up, Will? How you doing? Hola from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got back yesterday, actually. Like, spent a little bit of that option money to nice, <laughs> enjoy <man>. this life. <laughs> enjoy this life. You only got one. Hey, um, listen. Yeah, man, it's a great story, man. I love how authentic um, your story is, Will, and just 
what you've been able to do in such a short amount of time. Like super kudos to you. Um, for me, I think one of my questions is just going back to like school. So I think it's super interesting that you've kind of like taken the route to be a, a full-time day trader, like in this day and age. Ha have you ever thought about possibly taking finance like professionally since you talked about being in and um and by professionally i mean like you're already doing it professionally to some degree yeah you're you're a full-time day trader <laughs> but by professionally i mean like working for a big bank or trying to get into like uh you know the fun space or or trading in uh trading in a in a more uh traditional setting let me say it that way traditional setting. has that ever crossed your mind or is that something that you would think about doing in the future um in the future it's crossed my mind before, and the short answer is I'm not I'm not too sure because again I'm trying to play the long game and set up for my family in the future, and if I end up you know keep on doing pretty well, have you know some good money saved up, good house, decent you know all that sort of stuff, and I end up having like a kid, like I don't want to be with some institution or some bank or whatever. Maybe my kid has like a baseball game or football basketball game, whatever it may be. And then the bank or institution, whatever it is, be like, hey, we need you at work during this time. I want to be like, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not going to be there. Uh, take away, because yes, on one hand, I would want to do it. But on the other hand, once I get to the point to where uh, in the meantime, though, I mean, if in the meantime, if something were to arise, if I were to decide, I, I might be willing to do that before I have a kid, but once I get a kid, probably not. Yeah, yeah. So um, another thing that's just amazing is your maturity. Like at 20 years old, I was not thinking about putting any kind of money away <laughs> for my family or, or any or anything like that. You're like, how did you develop this level of maturity? You know, just like so early because I, I think that's also what's helping you with your trading, right? Because you're talking very very um just kind of like coherently and purposefully in the way that you make your trades the way you handle your risk you know the way that you see um growing your account so like just kind of like walk us through maybe like any anecdotes or like how you think you develop this level of like maturity in and like in the way you take your business yeah so when i this is going to kind of go back uh whenever i was in like the seventh grade so I, my, long story short, my dad ended up getting, uh, got diagnosed with, uh, cancer and he ended up, he ended up, we kind of battled that for a few years and I had a aunt, um, and she was probably about one of the only actual successful people in the family. And essentially from my point of view, my mom was always, my mom wasn't super good with finances. She didn't have a ton saved or anything like that. Neither was my dad. Um, so we went through money pretty quick, especially when it came to all those hospital bills and all that sort of stuff. And she was kind of the person that stepped in and said, and said like, I'll help you. Uh, she paid for like close to a year of our, like our mortgage paid for a bunch of our bills, paid for some, some of the medication, all that sort of stuff. And it, she wasn't there, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how different my life, like, I don't, I don't know what my life would be like. And the way I think about that isn't like, isn't, it doesn't just stop it. Oh, you know, I love her. She helped us a lot. I, I like to think a little bit deeper into it be like, well, I mean, 
you know, life is tricky. A bunch of stuff will happen at any point in time. Someone you love may get hurt. They may do something bad can happen at any time. And I want to be at a, I want to be at a point in my life like she was, where she's always able to help and she's always able to take care of a situation. Cause I do not want to be, I do not want to go the route where I'm in college. I just get out of school. Let's say I'm making a job. I, I'm in a job. And let's say I'm making like 70K a year. 70K a year ain't bad. But if some big catastrophe were to happen, like I, it's just, it's not enough for me to feel safe about protecting people close to me and protecting my family or whoever it may be. So I saw her as almost like almost an idol that I wanted to go up to. And once I kind of found this route, that's uh, that's where I wanted to be. So to go back to the original thing of maturity, I think it just came from me seeing the person that I wanted, I, me seeing my idol whenever it came to a stressful point in my life and then wanting to be like them. I was never the type of dude to go out and party. I think I've been to a total of two parties ever. And even then, you might just call those like friends and acquaintances, like gathering. Like, I don't even know if I'd say like a party. Um, don't do drugs, don't smoke, none of that sort of stuff. Um, just because, again, I never saw her do that stuff, never saw her mention that stuff. And uh, I want to be on her level one day. So that's uh, that's just where that came from, I guess. No, that's great. That's amazing. Billy, I saw you take... Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, man, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. well, so, uh, so I don't know who said this, but a lot of most of the a lot of the people who are very successful in life are those who willing to serve others and serve and give to others. Right. So as long as you have that mentality, I feel like you're always going to get blessings. You're always going to get some type of blessing coming your way. And for you to have like that mentality, like, hey, yes, I want to have some money, but it's like. But what's most important for me is to be able to take care of the people who I care about. Like, I feel like that's that's huge, man. Even at 20 years old, not being selfish and all this different things. And it's it's funny. Like, I think like a lot of people, a lot of young people who are actually like in the trading world, because you're not you you and I forgot. Is it Lawrence Delu? I think Lawrence. Yeah. Lawrence was also yeah, like Lawrence. Lawrence started uh, trading when he's like 50. Yeah, that Cam. Lawrence Cam, those are probably the three youngest that I know that are like, yeah, I look at I'm I actually follow you, Will. Like, I think it, I, I pretty much I follow you on on IG and I look up your information, too. Like, I'm regularly mm -hmm. getting information from what you're doing, too. So keep up what you're doing. And I do the same with Lawrence and Cam. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like those three are you guys are really doing your thing. So more kudos to you. Yeah. So you guys are literally changing the landscape of like young people right now. And I feel like. You know, yes, you're serving, you're trying to, you know, help your family and all this stuff. But there are other young people that are going to watch you. You're like, hey, he's how old? I can do that at this age? Yeah, I can jump in and do that. You know what I mean? So it becomes like a, it becomes like almost like a, a dominant effect. Like, you know, you can help other people also and stuff. So that's amazing, man. Um, Ronnie, what you got, bro? Yeah, man. I, I kind of want to go back to when you were talking about, um, you know, your stop loss and 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 getting into place. What do you, as far as sizing and getting into place, how do you kind of manage that uh, aspect of it? Yeah, so I like to think I would like to think of myself as a fairly like logical and statistical person. And when I think about okay, well, what plays should I logically scale into compared to plays that I shouldn't? It's going to be like okay, well. It's going to go back to the whole probability thing. And if I think a play has a 
higher probability, you know, a really high probability, like a 90, 10, 85, 15, something like that. I'm going to scale into it heavier than I'm going to play just some like day trade that I think has like a 65, 75% of, you know, uh, percent going my way. And it may, it changes from situation to situation. Like, uh, for example, like my swings, usually I'm going heavier with swings, but I usually start out with just a starter and then add on once I have confirmation that it's actually going my way. Uh, but I'm usually scaling heavier into things that warrant it. So these normal average day trades, usually not scaling into near as heavy as what I'm trading into swings and then other just rare anomalies that come that come up that are present themselves as very good uh, trades. Like um there was a i i did a swing over it was whenever we were going to be going uh two one up on the month and then it was going to be a two two continuation after two two rev on the quarterly and i believe it was over like 4100.98 and i was going to start with a starter and then add into my position surely enough i had a hunch that once it got over 4100 it was when I eventually get up past uh, 4150. 4, there just wasn't a bunch of uh, things that really stop it. Essentially, I was just training from that point up until a broadening formation slash a weekly broadening formation slash a psychological level, which was that 4200. And long story short, ended up scaling it heavy, got out the trade near the top, ended up making like 6200, 6300, something like that. But on a normal average day trade, you know, I, I'm not using five thousand ten thousand dollars like that's just not happening because i know i can lose my ass a lot faster on a day trade than i can a swing that has a much higher probability and going in my favor favor that's a fact man so you keep talking about psych psych i know this uh psych levels i know this is one of your strategies you mentioned yeah okay uh, you kind of walk like can you kind of walk people who might not be familiar with psych levels or psych numbers um is into like what does that actually mean like when you start thinking about like psych levels okay this talk is maybe like, like let's say for example spi is about to hit like 415 or 420 or going back to like 400 like understanding what those levels are and how important they are yeah so essentially the way i like to think about them is um they're going to be levels so i trade spx so that's going to be the levels of the basically going to be the multiples of 50 or the multiples of five on spot. So it's going to be like in this scenario, it's going to be like 4100, 4150, 4200. If you wanted to go down lower, it's 4900, 4850, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think of these levels as basically going to be uh, zones where buyers and sellers are usually, typically, of course, this isn't always the always the case, but normally these are going to be areas where buyers and sellers tend to battle it out a little bit, where sometimes the crown is going to pass, be passed from the buyers onto the sellers. And the buyers are going to be getting up to that level because the buyers usually know that, okay, at this level, people tend to, it, the whole, let me back up just a little bit. The whole uh, idea behind this is that everyone else kind of thinks the same way. Again, it's, a, it's a kind of a psychological level. There's nothing inherently special about 4150. It's just that most people psychologically like those multiples of fives, or in this case with SPX, it's going to be the multiples of 50. So whenever you get around these levels, you want a lot of times you want to have buyers, you know, sometimes if you were playing like a rejection, buyers may be like, oh, we're getting pretty close to there. You know, let's see what's going to happen. And then more buyers are going to 
kind of slow down a little bit and the seller's going to be like, okay, well, we're at this point. If the seller, if the buyers start backing down a little bit, we can go ahead and get up here, then start selling down. And, you know, because we're at the top right there, we want to have really good liquid uh, liquidity in our contracts. We want to have cheap contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, again, if you get to these levels and the buyers keep going up, um, like if we're going up, get the 40, uh, 4150 and we just keep going up, that's usually a good indication that, okay, the sellers aren't, or the buyers aren't trying to pass the mantle onto the sellers. The buyers are just outweighing the sellers and they just want to keep bringing it up. And usually that's going to be, uh, usually a fairly significant climb because if the sellers were to take it away from any specific spot, usually it's going to be that psychological level. Cause again, that's usually the little battle, uh, battleground or deciding factor in a lot of trades. And I, I feel like that's important, especially if you listen to this, like, you, um, Sometimes you will like you hear people say like, "Oh, that forty one hundred is very important, or forty one fifty, or is SPX defending the forty one hundred today?" Like those, a lot of those are all like kind of like we'll say it's all psychological levels. Like those are very important support level or resistance level that you got to be aware of. Um, and you know, if you really want to trade in a way where like you understand why people calling those numbers out, you got to understand those psychological levels. And of course, you still got to be aware of your, like, you know, your brand informations, yeah. whether it's two, two up on the month or a week or the day, you still got to be aware of all these things, but just know that you have, there's just another tool in your trading tool. If you're going to trade, just think about mm -hmm. those stuff when you are, when you're trading and stuff. So, yeah. So as we are talking about this, I want to start diving into like, your strategy. I know you mentioned earlier, sometimes you look at the four hours or, you know, the look uh, inside candles or two, two up or reversal stuff. So let's dive into a little bit about when you're looking at a stock, what exactly are you looking for in order for you to jump in and take the trade? Like, you know, when it comes to the strats, when it comes to the broad informations and all that stuff. Yeah. So whenever it comes to the strat, uh, normally I'm looking for two one reversals on the hour. That's usually what I'm trading. I have two different uh, day trading kind of strategies one of them is going to be a more conservative one that produces that i'm usually scaling into more but usually has a much higher win percentage and in, in my personal experience it has like a 90 percent win percentage something like that uh and it's going to be two one reversals on the hour to some extent again about 90 percent of the time it's going to end up locking in profit and as long as you stay with your rules and move your stop loss up above your entry the large majority of the time you're going to end up making money However, the trade-off of that, again, earlier we were talking about trade-offs, the trade-off of that is that it doesn't happen as often. But when it does happen, you're able to scale into it a little bit more and it has a higher, uh, uh, higher winning percentage. So uh, on the hour, usually uh, intraday, I'm looking on the hour, looking for two one reversals, you know, either up or down. If it's a double inside, it's going to be the same thing. Usually that tells me that we're almost building pressure to eventually burst. Um, it's going to be traded basically the same way. Um, as soon as you get in a trade, you're going to have that stop loss right there, about 10%. And even if it does go down, because I've had people ask me before, like, okay, well, what if it goes down, hits your stop loss, and then uh, bounces back up? Like, okay, well, I mean, simple. If it hits my stop loss, it's only 10%, bounces back up, I might try and get in another trade. And it's like, okay, well, what, what if it goes down again? You know what? You just lost 20%. I'm like, okay, here's what you really need to be looking at. The majority of the time that you are getting in something for a second time and it proceeds to reject, reject whatever it is a second time, the majority of the time, that's going to mean that whatever direction you're trying to go, whether it be buyers or sellers, is not trying to go in that direction. So in turn, by 
by having those two losses, you're almost reading price action just in those two losses because those two losses are telling you that whatever zone or whatever direction you're trying to go, people just aren't trying to go in general. And then, in fact, that could also, again, depending on the way, you know, see what price action is going to do, depending on what that is actually going to, uh, what what is actually going to happen, may be an entry for a, uh, for let's say in this case we were going up and then just kept rejecting that this may be an entry for a put to go down because the buyers just cannot get over whatever level that you're trying to take it over um so that's my main thing whenever it comes to intraday two ones all that sort of stuff always 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 having that stop loss and moving it up above your profit level once you're actually in profit because again going back to the whole thing before if you plan on trading for the next few years whatever it may be, those little 5, 10%, 15%, whatever that right now, you're like, man, only made 5, 10%, whatever. If you're guaranteeing yourself profit and you repeat this process another 15, 20 times, that's going to end up adding up big time, big, big time. I, I don't I don't like risking stuff. I like guaranteeing, guaranteeing profits. Um, and if I'm playing in the long game, it doesn't matter if I miss some 400% trade. Like it, it literally doesn't matter. I, I, I'm still making money. I still have all of my account. Then overall, uh, just and some some else that a lot of people don't understand, don't think about is when you were trading, you were building habits and you were building experience. And if you build a habit of wanting to take the risk and it going into the red. You're, it's going to be building the habit of you just taking more risk. And usually, again, not always, some people have become multimillionaires from taking big risk. But typically for me, I'm going to consider myself like a somewhat av like average individual whenever it comes to like how I think about trading. For a somewhat average individual, like I'm realistically, I'm not going to be, I'm, I probably won't be lucky enough to be able to make some crazy trade. So in, in the end, you got to play what's going to work in the long game. And risking things is not going to work in the long game. Um, so, going back to the original uh, the original question, my second uh, kind of intraday strategy is going to be the psychological levels. And I will say, with the psychological levels that I was talking about before, they happen a lot more frequently. You may have two, three, four bounces in a day. Um, but the trade offs again is either they're happening more often, but their win percentages may not be as good. And with that, okay, well, what happens when the win percentage isn't as good? Like we were talking about uh, before with the scalability, you are not going to scale as heavy into that as you would something else because it happens way more often, gets rejected more often than whatever other strategy you have. It doesn't make sense to scale into it the same way. I don't know. I don't understand why people have this notion that all trades are the same and you scale into stuff the exact same way. You don't. Not all trades were created equal. It's it's just, in my opinion, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but largely it just doesn't make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, psychological levels, seeing yeah. if it's going to reject or continue, then trading whichever way that is. And once once you start understanding like how certain stocks move, like I think you can kind of understand where the psychological level is going to happen, where they normally bounce off off and all these different things. So you're absolutely right. Not all trades are created equal. Um, and you know, trying to understand a stock, it's, it takes work. It's like an art. Like I always tell people, like, it's, it's like an art. Like you really have to invest time in it and become a student of that. So absolutely agree. I know Deluge just went on. Uh, you got a question real quick. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I love what you just said about the habits and experience. I think that's a that's a big bar right there because um, this idea of you know building habits and developing experience and and trading that's that's an easy way to sum it up. That's basically what we're doing here every day, right? Understanding how this this money moves, how people will behave, like if this money moves a particular way, and how do we react to how this money moves, right? And like that's that's our habit. So taking that kind of like logic can you walk us through what a typical trade plan looks like for for will right like so what is your habit getting into a trade kind of like you know and you know how do you scale out like kind of like just like what the actual because you know a lot of people talk about trading but sometimes we don't talk about the the uh the actual like you know Pressing the button, putting the stop loss. Step by so, step, the process. There's like, you know, people don't really talk about like the the real details of like what I did to actually make this money, right? So I'd love to hear what your um where your process is and like what your actual kind of like trade plan is in a in a day. Yeah. So uh usually the day before I want to have some sort of like pretense of what the days want to do. Uh usually at the beginning of the week, and I've been doing this in the uh in hundred K's group. I know y'all just had him on. Um I'll kind of at the beginning of the week kind of do a little pretense of where I think it's going to go. Usually the reactions that uh, is going to be happening around broadening formations and different levels, uh, psychological levels, and I'll base my day to day practices on that. And what I mean by that is, OK, if I think it's likely that we're going to hit 4150 um, or we're going to drop down to 4100, those are going to be the main two levels. So it opens up the trading day. If it's not at either of those levels, I'm watching price action. Like, I do not care about whatever the stock is doing. I don't care about whatever the index is doing until it gets to one of those levels. You have to have patience in order to actually get some sort of gain out of the market. You can't just, if you're trading in between some random range, you don't know why you're actually doing it. And most of the time, sure, you may make a little bit of money one or two times, but in the end, you end up getting burned. And uh, so essentially, everything's going to open up. I'm going to wait, you know, however long it may be, whether it be an hour, two hours, three hours, um, and see if it's ever going to get to one of these levels. And if it doesn't get to one of these levels, good thing I was out of the market because that most likely chopped because these levels aren't too far apart. They're just uh, multiples of five, five apart from each other. So for one, it's just protecting me from trading a choppy day. But in the optimized scenario, if let's say it goes down, it goes down, we're at 41, 41.10. So we have 10 left to go before it kind of gets in the zone. I'm kind of looking at, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead, wait just a minute, see what it's going to do around that area. Let's see if we go ahead and get brought back up or, you know, whatever else. Um, Just see if anything funny happens. And if, you know, things just go accordingly, it's going to go down to that level. And I'll be watching right there. I'll be like, okay, well, it's down at the level now. Just because it's down at the level, you you don't you you have to see the reaction of it once it hits this level. You can't just automatically go into a trade because at that point you you were literally gambling. So if it goes down there, I start to see a little bit of sideways action. I'm like, okay, what is that telling me? If I see sideways action down to the level, that's telling me buyers and the sellers don't know exactly who's in control right now. And then eventually that's going to have to break, you know. And again, if it doesn't break, cool consolidation. I didn't trade it. That protected me from consolidation however if it does kind of go sideways and then it eventually pops let's so let's say up 
usually that's going to mean uh, that whenever the price, whenever the decision between the buyers and the sellers were in a debate or in a little meeting room deciding whether it's going to go up or down, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's coming to a fairly reliable, incredible decision after a bunch of consolidation. And once I see it pop up over the consolidation um, or up over the level just a little bit, I want to be like, okay, well, most likely the buyers are in control. So I'm going to go ahead and get uh, get in a trade right there. Because again, I got to wait a second. I may technically be losing a little bit of profit, whatever. But in the end, I'm trying to get as much credibility in my trade as possible. So once I see that I do have credibility in my trade, I'm going to go ahead, get in it, set my stop loss immediately. As soon as I get in the trade, I'm setting my stop loss. And then once... I see what it's going to do. You know, let's say it goes pretty well and it goes up. Let's say after about a couple minutes, I'm at like 30%. I'm at 30%. Once I've probably, for me personally, once I pass about 20% of my trade, my stop loss is now going to be going above my entry anywhere from 5 to 10%. And as my, uh, like Ronnie was talking about with the trailing stop, I, I mean, I'll just like do a normal stop loss. Sometimes I'll do a trailing stop loss, et cetera, et cetera. I think trailing stop losses honestly work. Uh, I think they work really well in general. Um, for me, usually I just do like a manual stop loss. But whenever I very first started, I or, or whenever I started like this main strategy that I'm using now, I uh, I would use a trailing stop loss because for me, since I was new for it, trailing stop loss protected me against like emotions because, you know, You'll be like, it's easy to say, okay, once it gets down to this level or once it gets down to this percentage, I want to cut it. But then it actually gets down there and you're like, what if, what if I can just get another 5% out? And then all of a sudden that five, next 5% you're trying to get out of the trade and it ends up going down. So the, I think the trailing stop definitely helps whenever it comes to the whole mental, uh, mental side of it. Mm-hmm. But going back to the original thing, once my stop loss is above my trade, as I start going up, it's just it's just a game of as my profit goes up, my stop loss goes up. As my profit goes up, my stop loss goes up. And then I'm just going to repeat that process until eventually my stop loss is hit or I'm happy with whatever, with whatever profit I have. Um, so, yeah, and it's like, okay, well, that's an optimized example. What if it's a non-optimized example and I get in something and then it almost immediately goes against me? Yeah. Well, it's going to hit my stop loss. I'm going to lose 10%. Boohoo. I'm not really going to, I'm not really going to lose too much sleep at night over 10%, especially if I'm correctly scaling into it. Cause again, like I was talking about before, it's something that happens more often. And therefore usually it's going to end up with a lesser overall probability of going my way. I mean, of course, you know, I want it to be overall more probable my way, but um, regardless, I'm going to scale into a lighter, losing 10% of a lighter trade, nothing crazy. And if it does actually start to go my way again, I get in a trade and ends up going up. Cool. I'm going to do the thing that I just talked about previously. Move that stop loss up, chase it, chase it, chase it. And like I I was talking about a little while ago, goes back down and rejects a second time. For me, that's that's almost that's almost like buyers and sellers exchanging the torch and trying to go the other way, Mm -hmm. which can then lead into another trade down. Um, and then, I mean, that's basically all is to it. I mean, whenever I get to the point where I want to buy the candle or buy wherever it is, go in there and I understand what you mean whenever it comes to actually pressing that buy button, because when, especially when I was a newer trader, it, it's hard to press the buy button. <laughs> and it, 
Like you, you know you what's know. harder? Pressing the sell button. Pressing the sell button. <laughs> I should have pressed the sell button today a couple times. I messed myself up. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that's a story for another day. But go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah, pressing the buy button's hard because you're like, man, you know, it don't matter if you got a hundred boxes, you got you got a hundred things that this play has to follow. I mean, of course, I'm being very exaggerant, but theoretically, if you had a hundred things this play has to follow and it take every single one of the boxes, you would still be hesitant to get in that trade. <laughs> That's a just just to, to some extent. Um, for me personally, whenever it came to actually getting past that, it came with just experience. Like I, I don't. There's nothing necessarily for me that I can probably say other other than experience because I've tried to watch trading psychology things on YouTube and other than traders dropping, you know, some knowledge here and there at the end of the day, it's really cool to think about, oh, it really helps me, but then I actually get there in the moment and then a lot of people freeze up. Mm -hmm. I think experience is the main way to really help through that. Now, uh, once I've pressed the buy button, like I said, as soon as I'm in, that's stop loss. stop loss stop loss gets hit you know whatever try again doesn't work whatever it's probably gonna go the other way um and then whenever it comes to the whole sell button whenever it gets to the sell again the whole thing with the stop loss and the whole thing with like the mentality and how it's even harder to hit the sell button that stop loss is going to help with that because again if you can't hit that sell button when you want it to that stop loss for damn sure is going to end up in that sell, sell button for you <laughs> um so it helps a lot with the mentality yeah yeah that's man you just, you just you just hit like um i want people like what is what's today today's february 7th i want people to go actually go look at spx today and what will just talked about literally happening in spx today yeah you know it went down to the 4100 level it kind of played around a little bit and it bounced back up so that same exact psychological level you just talked about it did that and then he went back almost to 4,200, but then he got rejected at what? 4,195. And he got rejected again. I mean, so it's it's like, it's like once you see those things playing in front of you, it's like, oh, shoot, it's it's really, it's not hard, it's but I got I to gotta control myself. Like you got to control, kind of like you say, like you can read all about, psych, psych, you know, controlling your psyche and all these different things, but until you actually experience it, you won't be able to perfect that thing. And even once you perfect it, you're not, you're not, you're not totally 100%, right? Because we're emotional creatures. We all, we're still going to make some emotional decisions one day mm-hmm. and we're going to lose a play based on emotional decisions. It's going to happen. But yeah. yeah, man, I'm telling you, man, for February 7th, go mm-hmm. check SPX, go down to the hour. That's going to give you a better you know, view of what's, what's happened. But you can see like that 4,100 levels got hit a couple of times. And then after that, it just like, it just took off. So that is a perfect play by play, man. That was a masterclass right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was great. Definitely. Quick question, Will. So I know you yeah. mentioned um, you know, SBX. Do you primarily just play SBX or is there a certain amount of stocks that you typically go to on a regular basis? Yeah. So for me, uh personally, especially whenever I was this has basically been the entire time whenever I've been trading. I have always, I tried starting out with normal stocks, like doing like Coca-Cola, Walmart. I was doing like grandpa stocks and uh, partly because of Brown, because that's what Brown really liked trading. That's what he was good at. So that's what I tried. Um, But something that I always found myself doing is every single time I was in, let's say I was in Walmart. Every time I was in Walmart, I would be also looking at SPY. 
And I'd be like, okay, well, SPY just went down. That means Walmart's probably about to go down since they're both like kind of connected, you know, to some degree, of course. But regardless, it was messing with my head so much to the point where I was like, you know what? These other stocks right now, until I get better, how about I just focus on SPY? Being already always at it to begin with. Let's just look at SPY. So I started trading SPY, got fairly good at trading that. And then, you know, through the process of doing that, I mean, my transition to SPX. Transition to SPX is uh, it, it's a big one. Pe- people think it's simple because oh, it's just the same thing. Spy is just smaller. No. It's not the same thing. Well, heck yeah, that bad boy moves so fast. Wait, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, but but yeah, the transition to SPX was a little bit hard. That probably took a couple months to really get used to because, like y'all were just saying, it moves so fast. You can be stopped out so fast. You you have to really get you have to have some good precision in your trades you can't just oh you know let's say you have a stop loss of like 20 percent. let's say that's an like a normal stop loss and whoever it is on spy is used to okay usually it takes them the exact same thing on spx and instead of it taking oh a couple minutes to hit your stop loss on spy now you're on spx and it just took 30 seconds mm-hmm. whole new world and you're a lot more uh precise in your entries it's it, you can't play around with spx there's a reason it it rewards uh it rewards precision and it re- rewards experience and if you are a newer trader looking at trading spx because you see all these experienced dudes trading spx you don't have the precision and you don't have the experience so therefore you're most likely going to get clapped yeah. Um, I mean, again, unless you want to be something and it goes back to the whole thing, you do not want to have it. And if you do, especially from a, a earlier place, you're probably going to end up blowing your account. And uh, actually speaking of that, before I actually had my very first, my very first account that actually worked, I blew like four accounts, something like that. And, and again, it like we were talking about earlier, blowing accounts it don't feel good especially with me whenever everything that i was making was going down the drain it i i by no means was any sort of anomaly whenever it came to oh i was good at trading this good at trading that automatically just you know a good trader like no i sucked really bad for a long time until eventually i was able to put my big boy pants on and then learn and really sit myself down and you know learn the market you, you can't just Go in there with no no idea, no mindset. That's a fact. That is a fact. Big facts. But well, Will, man, I don't know. Uh, Ronnie, you have any last minute question? Did Lou got any last minute question? We're right on top of the hour. So I want to kind of go back, um, like when you made a decision as far as like not you know going pursuing college and and really focusing in on trading. Like, what does your like friends and you know family say? Like the type of money you're making and like hey show me what you're doing or what what's that like for you yes so uh whenever it comes to my friends it's actually funny because i i don't i never understood why people with money did not want people (laughs) without money to know how much money they had Mm-hmm. like I, I never understood like if i were to go up to some rich dude and be like oh how much money do you have etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean of course it's done my business but regardless of what would to say that because i was curious i understood why they wouldn't tell me uh i actually had my very first experience with one of one of my older friends who um i was hanging out with a little bit he wasn't like a super close friend but regardless 
he asked me what I was doing. At this point, I was doing pretty good with SPX and um, telling him how much money I was making. And then it was like, we go out and just go to like bowling. And he was like, hey, man, you, can you pay for me? And I'm like, the very first time it's like, sure, whatever. But then you go out to eat. And I mean, even if you're going somewhere that's cheap, it doesn't matter about the money. It, it matters about you just doing that just because you know I have money. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that, eventually I may detach that kind of thing for myself. But as it is right now, I don't really share my financial stuff with my friends too much just because in the end it isn't their business and if they do like i've said before like i want to protect everyone around me if they do end up coming on and falling on hard times i'm 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 there to give it you know i'm there to help them but if it's not that i mean it's none of their business um i don't want to change anyone's i don't change i don't want to change the way that people interact with me just because of my financial situation yeah and um as far as my mom she knows i do well for myself but she doesn't know how much i make my girlfriend uh <laughs> she knows i do well for myself but she she for damn sure don't know how much i make <laughs> that's a wise man right there that's a wise, wise right there that's very wise that's funny oh man but you know as i, I feel like it goes both ways right sometimes People were like, oh, shoot, you making that much money? How how are you making it, right? So it's like, I think you got to be really, 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 really cautious who you share your money, uh, how much you're making all that stuff with. Like, you really got to be careful because not everybody's going to be happy for you, unfortunately. Not everybody's going to be happy for you. You know, there's there's a lot of envious people out there, and you got to use your discernment to be like, okay, no, I'm not telling you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's, it's, it's like, you just got to use your, you just got to use your best judgment, I guess, at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. But yeah, man, as, as we as we wrapping up, any last any last like w- word of wisdom to any new trader, or even somebody who's younger than you, like you know, about to graduate high school or even just graduated high school, like what's what type of word of advice you will give them and encouragement to actually get into this and explore this this uh this market? Uh, so as far as advice, I think one of the number one most simple piece of advice that you can give a trader that will completely transform the way that they trade is just simply be logical and and by that point it's like oh yeah duh you want to be logical. you have to be asking yourself almost every move you're making is me trading this stock because of this setup logical if the answer is yes cool you can get in trade if the answer is no and you objectively know that uh, it's all about making logical decisions and it's all about uh learning different ways to improve what you're already good at and if you don't know what you're good at at this point uh usually it is the best i i probably think it's the best the best way to figure out what you're good with is to find a bunch of people who are good at trading one general same strategy and learning from this bunch of people not just one specific uh person with a strategy like that's the whole reason that we join discords is so we have a family or people that we can relate to whenever we are trading a strategy and that helps uh incredibly whenever it comes to you know actually trading stocks Mm -hmm. and then as far as um it's like why to get in the space if you're young i mean 
you got all the time in the world. I mean, of course, you know, to a certain extent, but yeah. you got to go to you got a good bit of time to actually take some risk. And as long as you're not going in it thinking you're going to be rich for the next month, two months, you know, whatever, and you get in there and you again go back to the whole logical thing. You're like, okay, well, my end goal is to make this my main job. Well, you're going to need to go ahead and find a teacher, someone to teach you. And you're going to have to seriously take those lessons and be accountable because as a younger person, you you have more time and you have a larger opportunity to actually uh, capitalize on trading a lot less responsibilities, a lot less bills, et cetera, et cetera. You were literally in the perfect position to try and make yourself successful. So taking the easy route at this point in your life. I mean, I'm not going to knock you for it, but taking the easy point in a part of your life where you have the most opportunity to take risk, usually, logically speaking, isn't usually going to be the best uh, best way to go. Yep. Yep. Man, that is some awesome, awesome advice, bro. Well, we appreciate you, man. Like, you definitely drop a, a bunch of gem in here. And I, I know a lot of people are going to appreciate what you just ta- taught us. And, you know, even just like the way you trade and the way you think, like, I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that a whole lot, man. So, how can people follow you? How can they find you on you know your you know your Instagram handle, your Twitter handle, all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, so my Instagram handle is just student of stocks, uh, capital S, no spaces, anything like that. And uh, that's about my only social media thing that I have. Oh, TikTok. Technically, I just started that up. I, again, student of stocks, and then I have a YouTube that will be starting up soon. But I already have a channel. And the YouTube is also same thing as before. Student of stocks, no lower cases uh, or no uppercase, no lower cases that are no capital S. <laughs> student of stocks, no spaces on all three of those platforms, and uh, that's where you can find me. All right, and we'll make sure we'll put that on the show note also, so people can kind of find it and put all the clickable stuff in it. They can click on it. But brother, right. we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, guys. Any last wo- any last words for Will? Uh, if you guys want to tell, say anything to him real quick. Hey, man, I just appreciate it. And, and the knowledge, I definitely learned some stuff today uh, that I can take away uh, to add to to what I'm already doing. But uh, definitely appreciate it. And I think a lot of people who's listening will uh, get a lot out of it and help them out as far as with their trading journey as well. Likewise. Just thank you for the time, man. Thank you for those gems. I appreciate y'all having me. Again, thank you so much for coming through. We appreciate it, man. Until next time, we're out of here. That's right. Thank you for listening to the Stock Culture Podcast with Billy Clement and Ronnie Jones. If you would like to connect with our guests, be sure to look out for their contact information in the show notes. And you can follow us on Instagram at stock underscore culture. Until next time, keep winning and keep building wealth. Because after all, stocks is a culture. Stocks is a culture. Is a culture.